Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated, elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Jamie Milne from the sunny coast. How are you, Jamie? I'm very good. Thank you, Danny. Nice to to meet you and really stoked to be part of your podcast and your message. So thank you. Thank you for coming on. I'm I'm really stoked to to have you on. I've heard lots of good stuff about you through Tracy Cochran, who's been on this podcast. Is, yeah, right. yeah, beautiful human. She's told me lots about you. So yeah, tell us a bit about your journey with alcohol. Where did it start? And oh where my did god, it take you? Yeah, how long's a how long's a fucking piece of string? Um, <laughs> where, where did it start? Look, it's it, it started really early for me, actually. Um, so. So I am an alcoholic, a binge drinking alcoholic, um, very, very non-functioning and uh, been sober now in recovery for two, two and a half years, just over two and a half years. But I think to be honest, to cut straight to the chase, it was really early on, you know, from flogging those little um, nip bottles they used to have back in the uh, early 80s. Um, scattered in Arnie Mary's uh, pantry and friends and families' cupboards and what have you in the kitchen. <laughs> there was always a big row of these dirty little bottles. 
and me and my friends would take a little sip out of it before we took off uh, for the day. And I was that kid that always wanted a little bit more, even though it tasted absolutely disgraceful and everybody mm-hmm. would agree it was foul when you're when you're when you're younger and your palate's not ready for it but i was just i knew now when i look back that there was something not quite right because i was always keen for some more even though I, I really didn't like the taste so it was straight off the bat so i would have been you know six seven when what? I realised, yeah, like so when I say that, I wasn't, you know, Friday afternoon chicken snitties and 14 schooners. Like it was nothing like that. But I just when I look back, you know, the the what is it, the luxury of hindsight and wisdom when you look through the ages of your life and you connect the dots or when I have connected the dots, I look back and I think it was all the writing was on the wall. And through my process and the journey of my life, um, I, I leaned into alcoholism just beautifully. We integrated efficiently, effectively. I went into the military as a young man, into the Navy, which really does nurture a power drinking culture. So I fitted right True, really? Oh, yeah. I love it. Love it. Oh, wow. So I went into that super enthusiastically and was embraced with the culture. And, um, yeah, and it just got progressively more disastrous from there. Tell me a little bit about, about that, about like, yeah, being like, I wouldn't have thought that was the drinking culture. Like yeah. they would have had the drink, a drinking culture. Well, interestingly there. enough, you say it has changed a lot and mm-hmm. a lot of the, the fundamental structure around alcohol and socialising has changed a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I've been out of the military for a while, so I can't really say to what degree. But I know certainly when, when I was in there, we used to get, and it just sounds, it actually, actually sounds fucking wild when I think about it now. We were issued two cans of beer every day at sea. So if you're at sea for three months and you're getting two cans every day, like a ration, like you need it. Wow. It's like, yeah, and it was part of the, the standard operating procedure. So when you're at sea, you get these two cans of beer. And I think they have the best intention of thinking that you're going to consume those with your with your nightly meal or something like that. But we used to just stash them up in the aircon units um, within the frigate. So then we'd get to a port, right? So we'd come into Australia and in Newcastle, Sydney or whatever, and we'd stock them all up or go on over to the Far East, stocked it all up. So you'd get into port and there'd just be, there'd just be hundreds of beer cans everywhere. And that just suited me perfectly. Oh, <laughs> it was wow. it fell right into my lap. I was blessed with an abundance of beer, pretty much. There was a young man that that had that was a, a you know is an alcoholic and has it suffers with alcoholism. It was just a perfect um, integration, really. Wow! So, wow! Yeah, and a little bit before my time, Danny. They used to the New Zealand Navy was the last to. Uh, issue rum so they used to issue a tot of rum on the flight deck every day so my dad was a clearance driver every day so i think maybe not quote me on this one but say like two o'clock in the rv three o'clock the master at arms would be on the flight deck with the navy rum and they'd put a little splash in your little cup i'll throw out a cup handy but yeah put a little splash in your cup and if you didn't like if you didn't like rum but i frothed on it and i'm like i fucking love rum i'm all about rum you could give me your rum and you could end up going away with a, a coffee mug full of like pure 
rum, like trickle, like molasses. So the Navy wasn't doing itself many favours in that regard, but somehow there was some logic in it many years ago. I'm, I'm failing to see what it was, but it, but it was. So, wow, that, I'm just so, spe- I'm really shocked. I've never, ever known that that yeah. was a thing and actually makes me think about one of my cousins who's in the neighbourhood who's an alcoholic and I'm like, wow, no wonder. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. They stopped. They stopped the rum, if I remember right. It might have been the early nineties, but mm-hmm. the beer. Like I was in in the navy through the nineties and the early two thousands, and it was still you know running thick and fierce. The 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 beer rations and stuff like that. So I'm not sure if they do it to this day, but yeah, that was mm. certainly um, yeah certainly a segue towards bigger and more more uh, dangerous things for me anyway. Wow. So obviously from really early on, you've had this kind of that you get the, I always call it the can't stops. And yeah. yeah and so how, how, how would that look for you? There was part of me. So it's quite interesting again, when I reflect on wisdom and these things that we learn as we go through our journey, I realized that some of the things that some of the, some of the parts of my alcoholism that were struggles for me were actually hidden strengths. So as I as I went through this pain, mm-hmm. it it became almost like perhaps it's a purpose. I'm not sure. That sounds a little bit, you know, um, <laughs> artfully visual. But I suppose yeah, the struggle became the strength in the sense of. And I often think about alcoholics like this, especially binge drinking ones like myself. Like I would go for days, like days. And when I'm and when I mean days, when I was younger, like five days six days closing in on a week and i mean get up in the morning dusty licking the windows fucking sometimes i'd piss myself sometimes i made a real mess of myself and i'd dust myself off in some Mm. shape or form maybe Mm -hmm. have a sneaky hash brown maybe a sausage (laughs) yeah and then and then straight into it and i'd be on it again and back again the next morning back again and i was really good at it and mm. I often reflect and I think, man, the resilience and tenacity, the tenacious resolve to drink day after day after day. And when I was younger, I did function. I would get away with it. And I was, well, I thought I was the life for the party. Others might <laughs> have, a, have a varied opinion of that. But people people loved it. It was like, you know, people would be like, dance, monkey, dance. or drink and they'd be like, you know, make us laugh, entertain us. Let's have some fun. And I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. It just, it, it, just, it just got worse and worse and worse as I got older, I suppose. But, but certainly that ability to survive, to have that dexterity to, to do that, that became, that became my superpower. Like it really did. When I became sober, and I did have long spells of sobriety, but it, it it really was. It became the fundamental cornerstone of a lot of my my personal success in my life. And I do accredit that to being an alcoholic because had I not had that innately within me, that ability to you know survive and 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 to have that resilience, that um, resilience, yeah, endurance is another word I'd use. Endurance um, is a good one. Yeah, I <laughs> binge drinkers. Yeah, yeah, and I really and 
you know, to, without going too much into my story, that's pretty much been the the cornerstone of my success is endurance. So I do want <laughs> you to go into your story. So, but I, I do agree too, and I that when you're a binge drinker, mm. you, you're kind of an all or nothing person. Mm-hmm. So many binge drinkers I work with or, or know or you know have you know have having had been one. Mm. we're really all or nothing people so it's like when we go hard we go fucking hard and that can go as well for our wellness <laughs> you yeah, know yes, yes. for our sobriety Too, like fuck yeah. it, i'm all in like you know um yeah. but, two different yeah. sides of the same coin exactly yeah, yeah. so yeah. when was it okay so firstly do you think because i've actually just done a post just before we um jumped on this this call mm. on what are we really craving when we are craving alcohol? Are we craving, because I think it's, an, it's we're craving an escape from a feeling generally, or we're, we're craving um, perhaps to mask something. Was there an emotional thing, perhaps a wound that you were trying to ignore or? Yeah, I, th- I, I think that's a, I think that's a brilliant question and probably doesn't get asked enough. Well, and <laughs> yeah, no, I think <laughs> nobody likes a brown nose, but I, I don't mind getting my nose a little dirty. That's all right. So I think, I think, um, no, I do. I really think that's a great question. And it's one that I think we could all ask ourselves. Um, look, I'm a big believer, like many, that we are in a process. That's one of the things that is permanence is that we are constantly changing and evolving. So even to the degree that the Danny that I met 15 minutes ago is not the same Danny that sits here and talks to me now and vice versa. Um, even at a physiological, biological, and obviously a psychological perspective and even spiritual, we're you know, going to go there type thing. It, we, we're always changing. So if I look at my process and I look at how that looked through all those different chapters of the story of my life, I think it did start initially as it was definitely a way for me to channel my rage. I had a real rage as a young person. I, I was violent, um, but only under the influence of alcohol. So it, it lowered the inhibitions. It took away the filters. It took away the boundaries, the titanium walls that I had around myself. Um, and it dropped those down and released a fucking menace. And that, like, I was a pest, as I said earlier. That's the best way to describe me. I was that guy you took to the pub, that friend that everyone loved until he just, just went over that sneaky little tipping point. He was going up the hill and he was he was great. It was awesome to go up the hill with that guy. He's the best guy you want to go hiking with. And then you go over the top of the hill and as it goes down the other side, it's like, oh, my fucking God, who bought that fella? The guy that punches his best mate, kisses his mate's girlfriend. He's in the toilets with his other mate's wife's best friend's cousin. And it's like, who the fuck bought this guy? And so I was that guy. So people loved me. And then, you know, to love someone, you got to hate them. And to hate someone, you got to love them. So I was that polarity. And alcohol was 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 the fuel that was the the reservoir the fountain of fucking <laughs> fuel for me to go off and do my thing. And I spent so much of my time trying to please people, be wanted, be liked, be accepted, uh-huh. that when I drank, it was like, I, I don't give five-fifths of fuck all if you like me or you don't. So 
and mm. that and that was unfortunately I would wake up after a couple of days on a bender blacked out in the arms of some lady or sometimes a German shepherd and I'd be like no <laughs> no 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 disclaimer that was just me trying to trying to <laughs> make you laugh no so there was no animals um but I'd wake up in weird places and I'd be like fuck what did I do you know and then there'd be like a bump on the side of my head and I'd be like oh hold on how the fuck did I and then you know the stories would unravel oh man you're all good and then you know insert whatever carnage I think in the later process of my life um in the later process of my life I wasn't I had very low self-worth and very low self-belief is a word that I'd use and I had it and I, I and do you mind if I tell just a very small story? I'll try not to. I could talk with marbles in my mouth, but oh my god, I want you to tell stories, please. I, oh, oh yes. okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. So I was I was working with a guy, and he was a mentor for me, and he was explaining the difference. <clears throat> so my sporting background, I was an amateur boxer, mm-hmm. and then as I grew older, I got into the CrossFit scene, um, and I was always people would often so they would say about me or refer to me as a confident person because I'd be like mm-hmm. a little peacock I was a, like a little beige peacock I'd like walk around and people did they perceived me the perception was this guy is really confident he can talk in a group he can he's mm-hmm. a fantastic athlete you know and 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 but deep down inside when I was brushing my teeth in the morning looking in the mirror I fucking hated my reflection and all the things that I'd done and all the dumb things I'd done and the people that I'd hurt with every brush of my toothbrush was a reminder of this this person that I really disliked. And, like, I really disliked. And this mentor of mine, he said to me one day, Jamie, do you know the difference between confidence and self-belief? And I said, oh, I think so. And I gave some waffly, wanky description of what I thought it was. And he turned around and he said, Confidence is what we show the world. Confidence is an act. Confidence, people can be super confident and they can exhibit that, they can portray that, they can act that, they can lean into that, they can show anyone they want to confidence. And he said, when you were a boxer, when you would walk into the ring with your coach, if you were not exhibiting confidence, what message would that be sending to your opponent? And I said, oh, they'd eat me up alive. And sometimes they did because sometimes I I couldn't act it. And so confidence is what we can show the world. Self-belief is what we actually think about ourselves. So that is our self-esteem, self-worth, you know, how we care for self, how we love self. All these things of self, he said to me, kind of falls under that belief of self, Self, self-belief, like the big umbrella. And he said one of the one of the greatest things he could, um, or I could invest in him to teach me, was to to create that belief in self, which took many many years. But to make that transition to moving the needle from uh, more self belief and more confidence was one of my greatest greatest journeys that I've ever been down. And I think in the later years of my drinking the the alcohol was was a way of masking and diluting the my lack of self-belief so a hundred percent so once my self-belief came up 
and confidence came down to a to a acceptable level the my need to find comfort companionship escapism freedom liberation was gone because my life became i wouldn't say it's utopic but it's definitely a life of choice now not a life of chance it's a, a my life is a life by design rather than a life by default and because mm-hmm. my life was so awesome to to live majority of the time i didn't i didn't need the alcohol as much or at all compared to how i used to so taking that journey to learn to believe in myself and to love myself again with all the scars in my heart and my soul and all the dumb shit that I've done that led me to to where I am today has been the most healing um, process in my life. Wow. That was a very long story. Jeez, I love that. So good. Oh, thank you for being so patient. That was, oh, I yeah, loved it so you. much. More, more of that. But what? which came first? Did you get rid of the alcohol and then you worked on the self-belief or did was it the other and- way around? Oh, the, the, the questions, the fantastic questions are rolling thick and fierce. It's a great question. So I, I, I at one stage, I've got, I'm sure we've all got mates like this or Teflon John. So I, I thought I was made of Teflon for a while. So I'd, I'd had so many rock bottoms. I'd like bounced, bounced along the bottom like, like many of us that do when we, when we, when we have addiction issues. Um, but the last one was enough. The last one, and I, God, I could sit here and tell war stories all day with the best of them. Um, Can you tell me about your last rock bottom? Yeah, the last one was the one that had some teeth in it. So the last one, I, like many people, I had tried lots of different ways to moderate my drinking, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'll stop drinking beer or go to the, you know, <laughs> the whatever, the, the lower alcohol and you just end up, why well, end up drinking triple the amount. But anyway, little things like that. And I, I used to travel with my two best friends and we go once a year overseas on a, on, a, on a wild and adventurous trip. We've All three of us have got wanderlust in our veins, so we'd all bugger off once a year for three weeks to some pretty cool places. And this particular year, we went all through Europe or oh, a couple of places in Europe and the UK. Um, and when I was over there, I had a little mantra, a little affirmation. And my, my mantra for drinking was I would guzzle the first, I would sip the second. Sorry, I'd guzzle the first, I'd drink the second, sip the third, and decline the fourth. And so that was my, as I was in the shower meditating every day, as I was channeling my inner filter, my alcohol filter, that was my thing. And honestly, Danny, like for... 17 days or whatever it was through Spain and Portugal and London, I, d- I did it. I didn't yeah. drop the ball. I'm sitting on some beach in Sesembra drinking Aperol spritz and with my bits hanging out in the meat hanger and a little fucking umbrella and I'm sitting there like, this is, this is, I'm living my best life. I'm guzzling the first, I'm drinking the second, I'm sipping on the third and I'm, I'm all good with the fourth and I'm home in bed by 7.30. So I was living, living life, doing well. Just as everyone was coming out, I was going home, but that, I survived. Mm-hmm. And anyway, we get to, we're flying back through Honkers, through Hong Kong. And I don't know if you remember, but there was a riot. And there was a riot in the airport in 2018. 
and they shut it down. So we landed in Hong Kong on the way home back to Brisbane and they shut the airport down and they were like, no flights are leaving for 48 hours. And we're like, oh, fuck, really? But luckily we got ourselves into the business class lounge. So we're like, right, we'll just, well, we're going to hang here for two days. And anyway, short of a long story, because this is, this is a long story, we're sitting in the lounge and, like, there's only so many sparkling waters and dim sims and spring rolls you can eat before when you're sitting in the same place. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it. Where's the – and it was, like, the next morning. I'm like, where's the – let's have a Bloody Mary. Go on, let's have a Bloody Mary for breakfast. So my two friends are like, right, let's do it. So we're Bloody Marys. And then I thought, I've done so well on this trip i'm going to push the boat out we're in the lounge what can go wrong i can just have a little kip wake up pour myself onto the cafe pacific flight and come home all's good so anyway we drank all day all night they passed out and slept i obviously with my resilience endurance and tenacious resolve was out there talking to myself just chewing my way through cocktails these two wake up and they're like you're a fucking idiot. How did you you go all the way through Portugal, Spain, London on your little drinking mantra and you have a big bender in the fucking business class lounge in Hong Kong? And anyway, that bender lasted seven days. Whoa. I got back to Brisbane. I don't know how, how I got through the airport, but I, I did. Met my family, went to the Gold Coast. I just continued drinking, ended up having a go at some poor guy in the kids' pool at SeaWorld or DreamWorld or something and me dick togs in a Cobra just kicking off at someone. Like, <laughs> I think about it now. The worst thing was, the worst thing was my son saw that and that was the first time he'd seen something that was, you know, out of character. So I, I don't actually remember this part. And so my partner at the time was so like, you cannot, you, you just can't be here. You've got to go home. And so they bundled me into an Uber from the Gold Coast to the Sunshine Coast, which was a $400 Uber ride. And so I poured myself onto the Sunshine Coast somewhere, carried on drinking, still didn't stop. And this is where it gets really cloudy. I, I woke up on a, a road outside a surf club, like maybe six or seven o'clock at night, and a guy was picking me up. And to this day, I don't remember. I Sometimes I think, was it, a, was it an angel? Was it something? I, I don't know. But I remember this really large white guy with a bald head just staring at me, and he's like, is that your wallet? Is that your phone? That car just missed you. Like, whoa, fuck, are you all right? And I just remember thinking, like, trying to tell him who I was, like I was someone important, like I'm blah, 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 blah. And I remember trying to get my words out and cars just whistling past. And then just people everywhere. And just I heard people going, did the car hit him? Did the car hit him? Is he right? And I'm just like thinking, what's going on? And then it's kind of really blurry. And I remember sort of picking up my wallet, picking up my phone, communicating with me like where's your house and I was trying to tell him where my apartment was so somehow this guy through all the security and this gated community got me through and then I remember the being to the door to my apartment and him saying to me I've done enough mate I'm gonna leave you here 
your safe, your wallet and phones on the floor, just stop drinking, just sleep it off. And then I woke up the next morning, I had spewed everywhere, all over myself, and I was really messy. And Danny, like many people, it wasn't enough. I hadn't I hadn't checked my phone since coming back from Europe. And the two businesses I owned, things were all over the place and it was just all too much. So I grabbed a bottle of Hendrix gin and started again oh, with the man. orange juice and the and the Hendrix. And it was that Maybe not that day, but the next day, I just, I, yeah, I couldn't stop shaking. I couldn't stop um, spasming. And I went to AA again. So that was, that was the, the, rock, the rock bottom for me that probably had the most teeth in it. And that was the one where I realised my mortality. And I realised the damage I'd done to my important people and the bullet that whistled past my head at 100 miles an hour. So that was that. And, I mean, like I said, I could tell you many more, but there was something about that one that had the significance. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what was, the, what was it that really turned you? Do you think it was just that waking up and having the shakes and having those physical withdrawals or just the whole the whole kidney nah, I think it was the enormity. It was the cumulative total of mm. the damage. Um, yeah. I suffered with the boozy blues a lot, so it wasn't something that I I was um, unfamiliar with. I had a lot of the the, the, the alcohol-induced anxiety, and I've been, I've been bottled, woken up with glass in my head, and, you know, done lots of things like that, and that still wasn't enough. It was just, um, yeah, I think it was just the cumulative total, Danny, to be honest, the enormity of the mess I had um, created and the feeling that, and I suppose when you kind of, I know for me when I felt like, well, it couldn't possibly, other than dying, I don't think it could have been much worse in terms of the damage I had done. Um, at that time, you know, my perception. So I kind of thought, well, the only way, the only way up from here is a bit of a comeback. So I'll slowly make my way back. And yeah, so when you kind of, I don't know, when I felt like I had, that was my last roll of the dice. I think the cat had used up its lives. I thought, um, yeah, it's time to really address it. Wow, amazing. Were you scared? You must have felt scared, right? Like, uh yeah i was re- i was really i was really scared but more more like a coward to be anything to be honest danny like not scared as in scared for my safety i mean i was but i was more i felt really cowardly the way i had conducted myself with my drinking and the um you know just the I don't know. I don't know how to explain it other than feeling like a little bit fraudulent, a little bit sort of because being in the being in the fitness industry and stuff, it that weighed heavy on my shoulders, like having a successful gym and and a and a mental performance center and all the other cool things I've done within my professional career, it felt like a real confliction. So you've got Mr. I eat fucking broccoli chicken and raw almonds activated over here and then on the other hand i'm snorting lines in some dirty toilet in some public bar and 
drinking, you know, anything I can get my hands on, but yet I'm telling everybody else to live a life of wellness and wholeness and, and what have you. So that was, that hypocrisy was really starting to eat away at me. I reckon that's what fucks with us the most, you know, just that, you know, where you've got your core values yeah, and obviously yours must have been health, right, in, in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And if you're doing that for a job, and then when your drinking starts undermining those core values, yeah. you start to get so conflicted on the inside, and it's just horrible. And yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, with my challenge group at the moment, we were just talking about core values on the weekend and how we got them to list, you know, ten of their core values and mm. which ones of those alcohol undermined or you know really fucked yeah. with mm. every single one of them said alcohol is fucked with every single one of these core wow. values that I've got. And it's, it's really quite alarming to see, like, you know, if, if your core values are family, alcohol fucks with that. If your core values are health, 100%. alcohol fucks with that. It's kind of nothing. Freedom fucks with that. You know, mm. we're not free when we're shackled to alcohol and it's pretty amazing. So living, yeah. living a life that's in, in line with your values, that isn't anxiety that goes, doesn't it? It's yeah. Really isn't it? Amazing. Isn't it? What, and what a great topic to, to bring up. And I've never thought about it within that context of, you know, mm. how does alcohol affect these core values? Mm. And you said it so beautifully that without a doubt, it would impact mm. absolutely everything in, mm. at, at, that, at that values level which is so interesting, as they say, you know, alcohol does take more than just your money. Like it takes mm-hmm. so much from us. And I can confidently agree that that's exactly how it's impacted my life. And and even when you're saying like living, and as I do now, living a life where, you know, my day starts with my core values and my <clears throat> professional work peels off my core values. Everything starts with my core values first the things that are most important to me it maximizes my ability at work as a, as a father it creates more opportunities because I, I i do what's most important to me first and then i go to work so yeah. it's it really is lovely when you when you get a bit more insight into how you're made up at a at a values level absolutely and then even thinking of going forward like okay if i want to live my best life what if i was mm. to make every decision that I have got coming up, if if I was to make that with my core values in mind, does this does this you know take from or does this enhance my core values? I think it's, yeah, it's a really interesting way to start looking at it. The only thing, the only one I found was that if one of your core values is to have fun, and mm. you see alcohol as being fun, uh, a way to have yes. fun, I think then you have to work on your belief around fun or perhaps um, yeah. reevaluate fun for you because a lot of us binge drinkers did see alcohol as fun and so i guess it's redefining fun as you go on through the journey of oh what do you do you mind if i share my my thoughts on what you just said because i funnily enough when i was and you've just sparked my my little memory when i was talking about how i realized what was my struggle became my strength and how i realized there was so much positive charge and being an alcoholic when you, when you were talking about fun then, one of the greatest insights I've found, and this is just a little bit about some of the things that I do, and I'll say all of this with a level of humble perspective, the I, I got fixated on getting after Guinness World Records 
and other real ultra endurance things, right? And I realized that both of the outcomes, both of the direct outcomes from doing ultra endurance events and look, I mean, I've run from Melbourne to the Sunshine Coast, I've run the length of the UK what? twice, New Zealand three times. You I know. I'm, I know. Oh, I know. It sounds good. It's, it fucking doesn't look good. But this is the interesting part, and you will understand it. You, I mean, I'm sure you're, you're going you're gonna to meet me on this pathway. <laughs> that the feeling post-event, like it's exactly the same. Like I've, I've gone after the 24-hour um, strict pull-up world record. That's what that is, pull-ups. So pull-up world record, right? But it's exactly the same. I'm there all fucking night. The music's cranking. I'm going through moments of euphoria and ecstasy. I'm a fucking god. I'm like King Dingaling. I'm like, I feel like a fucking god. I am a savage. I'm just an absolute killer. This is the fucking best. It's like I'm coked up to the nines. I'm off me tits from knee to nipple. I'm, I'm, that's how I feel. And then <laughs> the roller coaster just goes, <laughs> plummets down. It's like, oh, my God, I hate my life. I can't fucking, you know, I just need a hug and a lie down and someone to tell me I'm okay. And, you know, and I've got that feeling. And then I'm back up again. It's like, oh, bitches, I'm back. I'm back. And it feels like exactly the same as when I drank. And yeah. when I looked at the two, they were, they were, they could not have been, they could not have been more of a polar opposite. The polarity in these two pathways, yet as the saying goes, all roads lead to Rome. These two roads were getting to Rome. So I could either turn myself inside out with, you know, gin and tonics and Aperol spritz and all the Coronas I could get my hands on, or I could go over here and use the superpower on this pathway and get the same shit. It's the same shit, different toilet. So I'm like, this is what fucking, it was a no brainer. Whilst I still had, you know, the addictive, whether it's the addictive gene, whether it's, you know, whatever, I I get that. And that needed addressing, but the big night out and the fun, you know, the fun and how that was made up and constructed, it was the same. When I deconstructed fun, having a good time, socialising, it was the same, exactly the same for me, just completely different pathways. Amazing. Amazing. Isn't that great when you can see that? Yeah, and I can still have fun. I can still deconstruct this. I can still have fun. I can still get all the kind of same stuff. I just don't have to get myself shit-faced in order to do it. Yeah. Mm. And interestingly enough, I still felt just as shit after these ultra-endurance things. (laughs) get the same come down you know want to be in a dark room by myself listening to fucking there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Waves on some playlist and just sit in a dark room looking after myself. It's the same, just as I was hungover. Dark room, don't want to talk to anybody. Struggle to go to the IGA to get a roast chook. Like, it's the same shit. Really? It was exactly the same. Yeah, admittedly, it wouldn't last as long, um, the come down from the physical what? stuff. It didn't, the, the come down didn't last as long, but the, the feelings that it were elicited were the same. Is it because you're getting like a, I'm just interested, like a massive like dopamine or endorphin, endorphin yeah, hit? 100%. And then- it's gone and then you've got like a deficit going on or? That's, a, that's exactly what it is. Oh. You're, yeah, you're 100% correct. Uh-huh. So I'm fortunate to have a, a few friends in high places in terms of the medical field and stuff. And um, I've actually had a few tests done on me as well in the whole endurance side of things. And that, that hormonally, that's the issue. So the, the dopamine endorphins or the, the, the body's natural painkillers the floodgates just fucking come flying off the hinges so you get everything it is like taking you know a few disco biscuits back in the early 2000s it's got all the kick to it so you're like this feels great this is amazing but yeah everything the pendulum's got to swing the other way eventually you can't you can't just keep going up and that's mm-hmm. where yeah that's where the the interesting insiders and the and yeah what happens there so Wow. I guess everything that comes up must come down, right? 100%. Yeah. Would that happen with, I'm just interested, would that happen with marathon runners as well? Like, because that's absolutely endurance thing. And I think the more your body has to, and this is a a hypothesis, obviously, this is just an educated guess, is that the, the, the more you exert yourself, because a lot of the ultra stuff, we don't go terribly fast. Like we're obviously still moving and it's a lot of time on your feet, but I think competitive marathon runners and half marathon runners, they, they're pushing really hard. So I think the body's capacity to um, dilute and minimize pain, I think they'd be releasing a lot of endorphins to combat the stress and the trauma, I suppose, because you're kind of killing yourself when you're running really hard like that. In those distances, mm. like your body's shutting down and doing weird things. So, mm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So, so you're more like the David similar. Goggins style, like you'd run through, you know. <laughs> Interestingly <laughs> enough, so you know David Goggins, which is really cool. So I, I was going to race against him in Hawaii. I went, yeah, the Hurt 100, which he's done a couple of times. So he, so it's his world record I chased after, and I missed him by 67 pull-ups. I was gutted. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a pheno- phenomenal human, like phenomenal human. There's no yeah. doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just something about it, the sensationalism around him. I thought, I'd just love to have a good crack at what he's doing. There was part of me that thought, yeah, you're fucking pretty incredible, but you are human. So there's got to be Jeez. there's got to be something in this. Uh, yeah. Well, you, are a, you are a machine. And so I could see why you t- <laughs> <laughs> your binge drinking so <laughs> I took it very seriously Danny it was a very uh you know we've got to do it right so talk to me then about 
okay, you've gone through that dark night of the soul. You've, mm. you know, you've had the, you, you're um, about to fall off the edge there. So yeah. That moment where you're like, okay, I've had enough. I'm taking myself to AA. Tell me about the next, what do the next couple of months look like for you? Essentially, this is called How I Quit Alcohol, the podcast. So yeah, how did you do okay. it? How did you do it? Yeah, good good question. I I did go through the AA framework and I was not a stranger to the fellowship of AA. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. First time in AA, I was 18. So I, oh, wow. was, I was arrested when I was in the Navy and I'd got into a fight with three people, not just one. And so I was being charged with three counts of common assault. So no one was hurt because I was just a drunken fucking idiot throwing handbags and hay bales and left hooks and fish hooks and hitting everything and anything, everywhere, here, there, you know, anyone. And so I was arrested, right, and went to court and the judge said, you know, this is looking like problematic behaviour. And I was thinking, you know, yeah, okay, that makes sense, yep. And then the Navy lawyer who represented me, um, basically the outcome he got was I either had to go into a military rehab where everyone would know or I was to go into AA and I basically had to sign a thing. Every time I went, I had to go X amount of times. Um, And so I chose AA because of the anonymity. I was like, yeah, that suits me because I don't want people thinking that I've got a problem. Like, I haven't got a problem. I just like, you know, people, I don't want to suggest I've got a problem. I'll just, I'll just, yeah, AA sounds good. So in I go. And I remember walking in there at 18 and thinking, I am fucking nothing like you lot. Like looking at old mate over there who's a fucking train wreck and old love who's a mess. I'm like, I, I fucking definitely should not be here. I'm, I'm going to be a Navy diver soon. I'd like, I, yeah, no, I don't know what this is all about. It was really interesting. And then mm-hmm. fast forward, 20 years and it turns out I'm actually fucking exactly like these people if not probably worse and yeah. it was just really interesting to 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 look at it from that perspective but I, I I went in and out of AA my whole life Danny it seemed to be a safe haven for me where I felt like I had caused enough carnage that that was a place I could go where people understood me and when I shared my bells and whistles I wasn't judged overly. Um, and that's how I felt at that time of my life. But after this particular time in AA, my awareness uh, was expanded a bit more. And my understanding of my human experience was greater. So the part I struggled with with AA this time was that I'd done a lot of um, I've done a lot of psychotherapy courses. I've studied um, psychology, sports psychology. So I had this greater level of understanding. And kind of when I had got what I needed within the first two months, I gently exited, not through any dissatisfaction or anything like that. I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't not, not understand. I just couldn't be part of without sounding. Um, you know, I certainly don't want to sound, I don't know how this will sound, but this is how I felt. I was struggling with other hurt and sick people, counselling and supporting other hurt and sick people. And But I didn't notice that through all the years of going to AA until this time. 
And I thought, I can't, I was listening to conversations and I was like, oh my God, that is probably the worst fucking thing you could say to, you know, Mavis over there that's drinking fucking Drambui with her Weet-Bix in the morning. Like saying that <laughs> is not a great idea. And it, and that just built on me. So I slowly exited, but I exited with the understanding that I needed ongoing support. Mm-hmm. And for a while, I just needed to perhaps, you know, your environment dictates your behavior and all that type of good stuff internally and externally. So I I didn't put myself in, in harm's way. So I didn't go, go to parties or anything for a while. And I just made sure I had a support um, person as I as I detach from my relationship with alcohol. So you could safely say a couple of months with the AA fellowship, which I, I'm, I'm still a fan. I still think it. Did you do the steps? I did do the steps. I went through at a blistering pace. I probably could have slowed that up a little bit, but mm-hmm. I had a, I had a brilliant sponsor. He was a, he had a massive counseling background. He didn't suffer falls. Um, yeah. And he was great for me. Perfect perfect little um moment in my process he was there and and was brilliant but i think yeah for the alcoholic especially for me needing that support in those early in those early days like trying to be a lone wolf is dangerous i think i agree i think support is everything that you know even if it's one person you know someone something yes. you know to to share the load and just to be able to Share the experience, Particularly, mm. obviously with someone who's been there and done that for sure. Yeah, um, helps, and I can see why that works in the AA framework. I don't. Mm. What I don't love, and I noticed. Um, I hope this doesn't trigger you, or I hope you don't feel like I'm being disrespectful. But not, not at to all. say no. that I worry yeah. that you know people living by labels and to identify as an alcoholic for the rest of your life. Why yeah, that? Interesting. Yeah. Do you feel that yeah. that keeps you feeling safe or keeps you? What a oh, the questions they're the best. <laughs> what a great no, honestly, what a great question. Because it and geez, there's no, there's no coincidences. Like, I, I have honestly been ruminating on that. Mm. I, I really have. I'm like, because I get torn between just my cheeky little fucking. Because I have got this cheeky little mind where I have a good old chat to myself about myself when I'm by myself. And say things like, maybe you're okay now. Like, maybe you could uh, have a splash. So we get nice. a little bit, but I don't know, is it that? Or is it the fact that, yeah, I don't, because I'm a little bit the same, you know, the normalizations, the labels. I'm not sure I am, you know, and that, mm. and that I really am at that junction of, am I? Like, is this my label for the rest of my days? Or am I, do I choose not to have this in my life because my life my life is great my life really is great honestly I've, I've come into good fortune blessed however you want to you know if it walks like a duck sounds like a duck it quacks like a duck it's a fucking duck like I'm blessed fortunate whatever my life is really great and I don't have any dissatisfaction and I mm-hmm. and I don't have a need to drink and even in the highly unlikely event I hit a strong enough turbulence to put me in a place where life isn't so great. I'm not convinced alcohol is my solution, my symptom, my band-aid. And mm. is that because I've 
got a bit of time up, you know, it's not a lot of time. It's still it's two relatively. Two and a half years, yeah? It's two and a half years, yeah. It'll be mm. three years September 5th. Though I think, yeah, I, I don't know if I do recognise myself. I say it perhaps more out of habit. It's my mm. patterning. I'm an alcoholic. Um, but, I lo- yeah, I like to use the word I'm because it kind of puts me in a process. If I say I am, it makes me feel a lot more like a, oh. a normalisation, a label. I am, it's like I, I'm <laughs> alcoholicing. I'm moving. I'm <laughs> in my process. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. Knows? Uh, it might have been Joel Osteen, he's a preacher, but says that whatever follows the words I am will come to find you. Yeah, oh, 100%. And so that's why I struggle with that one. However, I do understand because most of the audience here knows my friend Lyndall who works with me and he's also, um, she's in recovery and she's still doing AA. She identifies as an alcoholic. And for Mm -hmm. her, that keeps her safe, that it's a reminder to her that it's not negotiable. But I guess it's a reminder and so therefore you don't start to make the deals with yourself. Oh, you don't really have that much of a problem. Just have one, you know. So yeah. I, I can see why I could see its purpose as well. So mm. I'm in two minds about it. I'm just I'm always curious and, yeah. and I, yeah, so I mean that in the most respectful way and I, yeah, I hope that that came across. No. But, oh, yeah. no, it came, yeah, it came across really, really well. I totally, totally understood. I think, um, look, I'm under no disillusion. So I can say this with certainty and confidence. If I did ever drink again, and just, again, it's like, what's that? I'm not religious by any means, and I apologise if I offend any religious people, but there's that, I think it's a biblical saying, and and what I apologise for is I might not get it right, but what I remember it is that saying, to thine own self be true. So when you know thyself, it's like there's no one youer than you, like I was at Dr. Zeus, youer than you, truer than true or something. So when you know yourself and I know myself, my past is my greatest university resource, insights, classroom. I look through my past and go, well, what the fuck was that trying to teach you? Like, what did you learn from that? Did you learn it? Were you paying attention? It's like, oh, yeah, no, I was. That's right. Yeah, I should have remembered that. And oh, it's my like, fucking God. Hang on a minute. <laughs> I just have to stop you there. My past is my <laughs> university. Fuck yes, I love that so much. <laughs> I got it. I want to get that printed on the t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yes. My past is my fucking university. Like I got the, I got the, the bachelor, the masters. I got the fucking honors doctorate. I, I got the doctorate. <laughs> I got the. I wrote the fucking the ethically approved fucking transcripts for this shit. For my life, I did. I rolled around in that shit for so long. And the one of the things, the common thread that stuck out for me is that, and they say it in AA a lot, so I won't plagiarize their little sayings. Like they'll fucking hang me from a tree for it. But I, I, I knew it, it wasn't the 12th schooner or the second cocktail. It was always the first, was the most dangerous. So as soon as I'd had a little sip and a slurp, like that was it game on i'm I'm ready steady go Mm -hmm. and even to the point what solidifies my little insight is i have been drinking the non-alcoholic not a lot but every Mm -hmm. now and then i'll have the zero Mm -hmm. uh alcohol beers and Mm -hmm. a couple of new years ago no actually yeah maybe it was a couple of new years ago before i had realized and i hadn't really realized 
But my friend was the barman at this restaurant where we were having the New Year's celebrations, and I'd fucking chewed my way through seven of these zero alcohol beers at a blistering pace, like just. Poof. And then when I went up to get another one, my mate just wetted himself, and he's like, "You getting anything out of these, mate? Is anything you fuck? Are you there yet?" And I kind of like had to stop for a second, and I was like. Fuck you! Right. I've had fucking seven of these, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" Like, and that's when that was another like it wasn't a light bulb moment. A fucking chandelier come flying out of the ceiling, and I was like, "Wow!" Even with that, my little my little brain, my mind hadn't connected the dots that there's no there's no charge in this stuff. But so yeah, so I think to that degree, even though I have that inner dialogue and that inner conversation. Um, oh, you know, maybe you'll be all right now. If I just think about it, that one more layer, that university of mine is like, just to let you know, when you sat that fucking doctorate, one of the parts of that doctorate was, don't be a dumb cunt. And for, oh, sorry, don't be a dumb, don't be, don't be a fucking, <laughs> don't be a fucking idiot. And like, fucking idiot is better than the last one. Don't be an idiot and and have that first drink because you know your past is here like a big flashing billboard to say like that's a dick move you had one job don't do that oh yes it is a dick move (laughs) for sure (laughs) and it's so many messages like I I can't even tell you the amount of messages I get every day and a lot of them are from people saying I quit for six months I quit for a year or two years five years Mm -hmm. ten years Mm -hmm. I had recently and I thought I'd be all right to go and have one drink And now I'm right back where I started. And I can't stress this enough, people. I don't want to burst your bubble. And I'm sure there's the odd person that's managed to do it. But don't don't do the dick move. Don't do the dick move. I was sitting here. Don't drink it. I'm like sitting here like giggling and thinking it's the worst fucking thing to giggle about. It's like the gateway to a clusterfuck shitstorm that you're going back in. You know, when you stick a pin... And like a beautiful big balloon, and you just like, pop, and it's like, like that. That's that's your life. If you think for one second, if you if you, yeah, oh my god, yeah, don't do that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, wow. I just I can't even I can't even stress it enough. It just doesn't work, and you've it got doesn't. to just weigh it up and just like. Play it oh. forward, like you say. Go back to the university notes and realize oh, that back. you know. Yeah. And is it even worth it? Like, if you think I'll just have one, well, what's the fucking point anyway? And uh, what's like, the point? You know, something else. Go. I don't know. Whilst a lot of us blokes, we think we're we think we're cool. We think we're what what. It, when I was younger, I used to think I was staunch and I was tough and I was cool. And the only fucking person that thought any of that was me. Everybody else thought I was a dick. So it's like. <laughs> Fucking hell! Just to and just to remind everybody, if you're on the the third floor or the fourth floor or the fifth floor of your life, it, the 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 dick is even worse. You're a proper fucking dick. Like nobody wants a forty five year old, fifty nine year old drunk fucking dick. person. Like <laughs> dick. Yeah, go back to the fucking university. Go back to your notes, and and it's all there yeah. in amongst the doodle pictures and stuff. <laughs> It's all there. That's it's it. totally all there. It oh, really is. God. Oh, my God. And that's the thing, too. Like, you can, what, what's the terminology? Future pace. Like, even thinking, what does it look like, you know, the day after I've had six and a half 
thousand shots of something you know what does it look like in two or three days what does my work look like what does it look like when i pick my kids up from school thursday afternoon after i've had a bender on tuesday and wednesday like what does it look like from a nutritional standpoint from lifestyle choices and decisions what does that all look like in a week's time when i've had a three-day bender like it's not a it's not just a three-day bender it's Mine used to happen in threes, actually, now that I think about it. It was always, if I drank for three days, it would take me nine days to come back to normal. If I drank for a week, it would be three weeks. And and I could almost pick it. I don't know whether psychologically or neurologically I'd created that construct, but it was, it just, I could pinpoint it. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, I don't know if that was the case for me, but I I do Mm. know that what worked for me was the playing it forward and going, I could have this one drink. For sure I could have it. Yeah. But I know what that looks like on the other side. I know how I feel about myself when mm. I know full well I'm not going to just have one. That's bullshit. Mm. Or I might manage to do that for a couple of weeks. I'm right back where I started. And mm. that person that was waking up hating on herself is, that's fucked and I'm not going back there. And it's not in line <sighs> with my core values. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't integrate very well yeah. <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Wow. Play it forward, play it forward, people. So I know we'll have to wrap up soon, but I, honestly, I feel like I could talk to you for about five, three weeks. It happens yeah, in threes. I'm going to have to get you back three. on because oh, this is so I, good. I, look, I just wanted to say you you are honestly remarkable in what you're doing. Like yeah. I, I'm so glad. One, I'm really thankful to be here and chatting with you. But I mean, I, I listen to your, your podcast and I, and I really will go through and listen to more because I think the message that you have is profound, it's powerful. And, you know, what I would have given to listen to a few of your podcasts two and a half, three years, four years ago, God knows. But I think it, we, mm-hmm. we need more of you out there. Because as we know, alcohol is a real challenge for majority majority of people, um, and having you know individuals like you that are that are going out there with this powerful message and this determination and enthusiasm to help others find a pathway out of it is is fucking golden. There's no dick moves in what you're doing, that's for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. Thank you. That's really no, you're nice welcome. Thing to say. No, no, no. Thank you. No, I mean it sincerely. Yeah. Mm, oh, it's nice. Now you've got me all flustered. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> so, all right, one more question. So, oh, actually, mm. I've got two more questions. But oh. when you had those moments, when you had those moments of like, I really fucking want to drink, when you went to go into that people-pleasing mode that had been there for you previously, mm-hmm. you know, how did you get through? And I know so you when- said at first that you avoided a lot of the social interaction, but yeah. when you're edging your way back into that, Mm. Mm, look I don't know if I really have to be honest Danny and and we could call Mm. this a byproduct of sobriety or I could call it a a development of introversion like I I I don't know whether I don't know if I can blame being sober so I did I I was going to go back into the special forces this is another really long story but everyone's been watching the SAS who, not everyone, but some people watching that SAS program on TV. And I was going to go into the special air service as what they call a direct entry, um, which which means I've been in the military, I'd left, and now I was going to go back in. 
And so I skipped a few steps and just had to go and do a lot of the selection processes that they have. And a lot of those, and I was like 33, 34, so I wasn't a spring chicken. And so I had quite a number of psychological assessments. And one of the things that came back was I was an omnivert. And an omnivert, for those that don't know, is a highly introverted extrovert. Yes. Yeah. I've been saying binge drink. I've been saying this all along. This is what binge drinkers are. Amen. <laughs> we're finding solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, we have found solutions. An omnivert. I've just written so this we're down. A, we're a pack mm. of fucking omniverts running around being extroverted and then scurrying off to hide away in the cave so no fucking knows where we are or what we've done. So I'm this highly extroverted, sorry, highly introverted, introverted extrovert. extrovert. And it was like, Here's the narrative of my life. This man's just given me the the, the basically rolled out the the diagnosis of my life. And so, whilst wow. and and how this relates to what you asked me, it just answered the riddle. It answered answered the algorithm of my life. I would drink to fit in. I'd get loaded to go somewhere so I could just you know be what I perceived as the life of the party. And as I mentioned, everybody else thought I was a dick, but it answered everything. So, yep, yep, yep. So now, to thine own self, be true. I know myself, and I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go and hang out with people. I don't even give you know two flying fucks about generally. I will network a little bit now, though not a lot, because the people in my life and who I surround myself with. Again, I've got this great life. I don't feel like I need to go to every party or every networking thing, um, and I'm and I'm happy with that. That ticks my little character um, traits and personality profile. Yes, yes, yes. That is such a big realization. Like <laughs> I remember the same. My husband Ash had the same one where we realized, yeah. and I've spoken about it before on the podcast i didn't know there was a word omnivert i just say yeah i think we're extroverted introverts highly and this is the this is the the nuance you're highly a highly introverted extrovert extrovert yes so you can hold i can't remember how they <clears throat> explained it to me but basically you can hold a conversation and you're comfortable in groups yeah you though you need a lot of your own time and, and you're fine and in, in, in not solitary confinement, but you're, you're fine alone um, with mm-hmm. yourself for company. If you don't uh, tend to that part of your personality, you, you're going you're gonna to get some, you're going to go against the grain. You're going to start to lose your shit. If you don't give yourself that time to, to have that, that solitude. And fucking when I, when I found that out, I'm like, this, this, you've just fucking answered every every curly question about why I am the way I am. I think it's answering them for me as well because having that and real. So I realized that. Well, I didn't go that deep into it, but for me, it was realizing. Yeah, I actually like quiet. I'm not always. A, I, but it's yeah. funny because I'm like, I can be. I can rock up to a party sober. And I can, mm. you know, cruise around and talk, but a lot of the time I don't like it. I like to be, yeah. I like smaller packs of people one-on-one. I, I don't really like networking. You know, yeah. I get invited to a lot of things, which I usually decline. Yeah, I and I'm sorry, people listening that probably have invited me to something before. And I said, no, <laughs> yeah. now you know. Now they understand. Yeah, now you know understand. it's nothing now to do fine. with you. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and there's that, 
when that when when I I guess I had that acceptance of realizing that I'm actually maybe a little shy I'm not shy Mm. but I'm a little introverted and to accept that rather than having to keep up with this label of being the the party girl yeah extrovert I just started to I don't know live more authentically I guess and I hate to use a sort of cliche word of the moment but um yeah yeah like I I think So did Again, you have that acceptance too? That's what I'm getting at. Just where you're like, wow, I've realised Oh, Jesus, yes. 100%. It's like mm. all the dust, just, you know, all the, it's like when someone, I fucking love metaphors, Danny. I mean, I've got to throw one in here somewhere. So it's like the little snow globe. It's like that little Christmas, the Edinburgh Christmas, and there's a fucking sleigh and Santa and there's all the snow and you just get it and, you, and, and life just goes, shakes it and all the snow goes, Woof! Up and you don't know whether you're coming or going. You're fucking what's going on? It's a mess, and then everything just falls down and lands as it was entirely meant to. And that's like me going, "Hey, Jamie, you're you you're an omnivert through and through, and everything lands." And you're like, "Well, isn't that a fucking surprise? Like, oh my god!" And now I can see clearly. Now I know. Now now I can accept that you know. This is how the snow globe looks when all the snow falls and hits the thing. The bottom, it, that, that's what it felt like. And having that acceptance and knowing that it's, that it's okay. It's okay to not go. My grandfather used to say to me when I was a kid, go to the party. That was his saying. He used to say it all the time, go to the party. As I play rugby league and he'd be like, go to the party. You're going to meet someone. You might meet your future wife. You meet your girlfriend. You might get a business opportunity. Go to the party. And I fucking hated it. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't want to go to the party unless I was loaded. And mm-hmm. now I'm like, fuck the party. Like, I'm not going to the party. The, bar- <laughs> it's not, it's not, the party's at home with my Dr. Joe Dispenza books. and Love Joe. Yeah, yeah, my marshmallow leaf tea with fucking chamomile and lemon sounds, myrtle. Sounds like the perfect party. It's the best. <laughs> it's the best party ever. I'd, inv- I'd invite other people, but I'm like, fuck that. You'll ruin the party. It's just me and my book and my Rottweiler. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, you are legendary. Absolutely. I love it. Oh, but- no, thank you. Thank you. Oh. You are too, Danny. This is great. This has been it great. so great. So last question and ask this mm. to everyone that's on the podcast. If you could go back and maybe perhaps talk to 18-year-old, even younger, um, younger Jamie, what would you say to him? What advice would you give him about life, the journey? About, about life. We great question. Another one. You've just, yeah, you've, you've sealed it. You've, you've, <laughs> you've finished how you started, that's for sure. That's a great question. I would, I look, I'd tell Jamie, full sends only. Go full send, buddy. You're going to have to go through this because, and this is why, this is, this is absolutely why, because my, my pain 100% led me to my purpose. My, my, I'm going to throw a few other cliche little ones at you, but you know, my pain, you know, it's become my power. It's become my purpose. My struggle has become my strength. Like my, now it's going to sound very, very funny, but, like my my darkness literally led me closer and closer to what I now understand as my light, and mm. and I and I had to go through all of this. This was the this was the my life has been the law of polarity all day long, 
there had to be an equal opposite to the carnage and chaos that I created, I endured, I lived through, and I developed a muscle, an enduring endurance muscle that I flexed my whole life to lead me here so I could become this 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 reservoir of wisdom with a mixture of intellect i'm like this beautiful blend of wisdom and intellect that i can serve other people be a vessel for other people be there and support other people and all of this i learned <laughs> from you know a good dozen or so dick moves led me to <laughs> where i am now and to be honest danny you know, I, I regret a few things. I, I hurt some really beautiful people. But in the, and I think within that damage I caused them and that pain that I put them through, they also learned some of their greatest lessons from me. So whilst mm. I was being a pest and a bit of a shithead and, and deceitful to, to some really, really beautiful human beings that didn't deserve it, I, I also became a teacher for them so that they could learn valuable things and what that meant for them at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be honest, I wouldn't change a thing. I would, I would tell that Jamie to chuck a fucking seatbelt on son. Cause this one is this roller coaster ride. Once that thing goes down over your body and it locks you in on this roller coaster, there's no getting off dude. And you're going to go through the figure eights and the corkscrews and the fucking the downhill speedy g-force roller coaster ride that you're going to go through but when that ride ends oh my god like no one wants to go on a roller coaster that just goes straight ahead and doesn't do anything that's pretty fucking boring so we want we want the wild ride and i've had a wild ride danny and i'm still here and um for that i'm super super appreciative and grateful so no changes just put a seatbelt on and full send that's what i would say that's so beautiful and i also love that you know in in where you may have heard other people that there was a lesson in there for them as well and that's you know yeah. a really beautiful way of looking at it so it also helps you stop punishing yourself yeah things as well and yeah and just the acceptance of it is what it is you know it's happened and yeah yeah there is some learning in it for everybody yeah a beautiful way of looking I at it think- yeah, and I think one one more little thing was just even the, with with AA, and that if I could give AA one big gold star sticker, and that was just around because I was a dishonest little shit when I was younger, and I worked very hard to 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 live a life of integrity, integrity, and trustworthiness, and honesty, and and yeah, a lot of that got amplified through the AA process and the 12 step process and making amends to the people that you've hurt. And with mm-hmm. that radical honesty comes liberation. And, mm-hmm. and that's a really, really nice place to arrive at in your journey as you go through that the truth does set you free. And I can look at the pain I've caused those that I've loved and still love that the people that I've hurt with a level of humble perspective and and um yeah and 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 genuine um sincerity mm-hmm. yeah awesome so amazing um 
Yeah, Jamie. Wow. Incredible. Thank you so much. And just before you go, so I know that if people wanted to reach out to you, if you, yeah. I'm sure you will inspire a zillion, gazillion people. Um, oh, thank you. If they wanted to reach out, could they reach out via Instagram, your Instagram handle, yeah. is, which I'll put in the show notes, but could you just oh, cool. um, it out? I've got Jamie Milne Training, uh, which is my gym facility. And where is and that? Uh, so that's on the sunny coast. So we've, we've got a couple of little franchises opening as well, which is exciting. And then, awesome. then I've got the JMT Mind Gym, which is my mental performance um, facility. So we have a bit of a synchronicity between working yeah. on the body and working on what's going on in between our ears. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And does someone have, Thank is you. that an online thing or do they have to be in person with you or? Um, uh, both, Danny. So I work actually about fifty percent of the people I work with are, are online, which is interesting. But I think that's just a state of our current environment and climate mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the pandemic and what have you. So yeah, I, I, I do both, and um, yeah, that's that's a bit of me in a nutshell, really. To be fair, that is fantastic. So I couldn't think of a better mindset coach than you, really. Like oh. I'm sure you'd be incredible. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. Yeah, I'll definitely put in the show notes all the links to your stuff and, yeah, oh, it'll all be there. And um, so if wonderful. anyone wants to reach out to Jamie, um, please do. Yeah, and, yeah. Absolutely. And I, I can't love- wait to, to share your to share you, your message and everything. I'm so, yeah, like I just think it's magnificent what you're doing. So Thank you so much. Jamie Milne, what a freaking legend. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story today. Thank you so much for having me. You're a wonderful human being, Danny, and all the best with your future endeavors and and your message as well. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.